0: There are something like 40% of all women uh, will describe some sort of sexual dysfunction in their lifetime, and 12% of all women report that they have sexual dysfunction to such a strong degree that it causes them distress in their life.
1: Hi, welcome to Love Mia Vita podcast, the podcast two women, for women. I'm Jerry DiPiano, women's health care advocate and founder of Fempharma. I'm joined by Dr. Deborah Saltman, physician, researcher, the thinker, and medical director. Thanks, Jerry. I'm really proud to be a part of Fempharma's commitment to keeping women healthy and safe and this series of podcasts. Together, we're providing solutions for women who care about living their best lives at any age. As Trailblazers, we aim to break down the myths and provide the truths about everything women want and care about. Imagine that. We ask women what they want, and we are about to deliver it. By the way, we hope to entertain you, and that's no BS. Over the coming months, we'll be speaking with experts about topics that matter mental and physical well being, and what more could be done. We will push our experts to give you answers that are real. So send us your questions, and here's to loving our lives. Today, we're featuring Dr. Maria Sophocles, who is a gynecologist and a thought leader in the field of gynecology, has done everything from delivering babies to looking at advanced procedures to address vaginal and vulvar symptoms of menopause. and Today's podcast will focus on why every man needs a woman-centered gynecologist because let's face it, men believe that they know everything there is to know about women and women's health about their body parts, and simply having a female partner does not necessarily mean that you understand how her reproductive organs work, nor does it mean that you understand how things may change from the time that you may have met her, which may be in her 20s or 30s, to perhaps in her 50s or 60s. Maria, it's a pleasure to have you today, um, and Thank you for joining us. I look forward to having you impart some knowledge to both men and women listeners. So we, the, the first question that we wanted to talk about was what should men know about female anatomy and physiology, especially breast and pelvic and reproductive organs, how, and how that changes from... Say the 30s and 40s to the menopausal years, what should they know about it? What's what's important that they know about how women's bodies may change and how they can be sensitive to some of those changes?
0: I think the most important thing to understand is that there isn't just one female body type or archetype. I think Hollywood and the porn industry have sort of let men think that it's normal for women to have no pubic hair and to have basically no labia and to have breasts that stay, you know, almost shoulder level for your whole life. And I think it's really important to dispel some of of those misinformations that get passed along. Um, You know, what women's bodies look like in the 20s and 30s. Are not the same as what they look like, or even are supposed to look like in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. Just like men's bodies change, um, but we live in a very—I'll um, call—I call it an androgenic, androcentric society. Where I mean, I think you know, physical beauty is so prized as a quality for women that it's very important. To, to portray women as sort of ageless, you know, no wrinkles and no, uh, you know, signs of aging. This is why so many women color their hair into their 80s, right? But um, as women approach perimenopause, remember the definition of perimenopause is the decade or so before periods stop, before reproductive potential is gone. And uh, many women and men think that that's sort of a one week before your period stop thing. But it really begins actually around age 35, levels of estrogen begin fluctuating, not necessarily plummeting or even dropping, but fluctuating. And it's these hormonal inconsistencies, these these less consistent levels of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone that lead to changes in mood and changes in our bodies. Um, don't forget the change in mood is a, a very significant part of changes that women undergo very commonly. Women come to me all the time, Jerry, and they say, I'm, I'm bitchy, I'm short-tempered, I'm, I tear up easily. My kids and my husband say I snap at things, and that's not me. I've always been a kind, patient person. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, it's really these same hormonal fluctuations that happen often in the early to mid-40s, sometimes as early as the late 30s, that lead to mood changes. As far as changes in the body, we see that as the overall... um, amount of estrogen in the body decreases again from and this isn't just in the 50s and 60s this can start in the 40s women begin to have changes in uh, their skin in their hair in their joints uh, what they can't see is that uh, bone loss is accelerating atherosclerosis is accelerating there are changes in the collagen this is when when the collagen breaks down this is why we get wrinkles this is why breasts sag, there are changes in the vagina and in the vulva and in the bladder. Um, The general term for this is called genitourinary syndrome of menopause, GSM. GSM is the kind of global term for changes in the, the genitourinary tract due to a lack of estrogen. So I think And many, many women don't actually know about this and probably even fewer men know about this. So I think if men understood that this is a natural part of age progression, that they would understand that it's normal for a woman's, the appearance of a vulva to change, for the appearance of labia to change, for the ability of a woman's vagina to make moisture with arousal to change. Because if there's fewer blood vessels in the vagina, thanks to less estrogen, there's less ability to have moisture come from behind the walls of the vagina with arousal. If there's less estrogen in the skin, it's very hard to not get wrinkles and and have sagging of the skin and get bags under the eyes. And, and if you look, there's very few people who age who don't get wrinkles and, and bags under the eyes. Um, So I think these are changes that, um, you know, I know many women don't honestly appreciate. They think that menopause is just um, hot flashes and, um, and maybe some mood changes and they don't really appreciate that. It's also um, changes that happen, you know, really, really head to toe.
1: So when, when you speak to women, Patients and more importantly, when we think about their their male partners, you highlighted a couple of things that that stand out to me. One is that um, we have this erroneous image, uh, our body image, right? And the fallacy is that our bodies won't change. That it is, you know, it, it comes back to just the hot flash, perhaps the mood swing, but the 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 fallacy is that all of these all of your body you're starting from head to toe, yeah. To begin to adjust to the aging process, and for women impacted significantly by estrogen, and to some degree by testosterone levels. Correct. 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 And male partners may not appreciate that, but they but how do we relate that back to men? Because obviously men are going through andropause, right? So um there to to bring in a little empathy here um we think that you you as a couple are probably going through similar kinds of changes his due to andropause yours due to perimenopause and then menopause and how does that um how how should men and women think about navigating through that um so
0: well, I think a li- you're very right. A little empathy goes a long way. And, um, you know, just understanding that, you know, whether you're male or female, that your partner, and again, whether they're male or female, because um, homosexual couples experience similar things, because we forget that y- you we all age at different rates, too. So even if you're a woman with a female partner, and you don't experience vaginal dryness with use of sex toys or with arousal, you still become wet. That doesn't mean your partner, who may be the same age, isn't struggling with that. So it's important to understand everyone also ages slightly different um, rates, right? But for male-female couples, it's important to understand that each one may be struggling with different things. Men may be struggling with uh, erectile dysfunction um they may be struggling with changes in ability to to urinate effectively due to prostate enlargement they may be struggling with hair loss which is you know male pattern baldness is a source of great stress and anxiety because just like hollywood shows you know tall thin women with uh you know breasts that are not sagging they also tend to show men who have a full head of hair so men are dealing with their own anxiety provoking um, cha- body changes. There are also metabolic changes, Jerry, that uh, affect our ability to, uh, to to maintain a normal body weight. We know that as women age, carbohydrates ingested are preferentially deposited as a, as abdominal fat. So this is why so many menopausal women or perimenopausal women. Will come in saying i don't understand i'm eating the same thing but i'm getting this belly and i, I promise, dr sophocles i am not eating desserts i'm not eating sweets and you know i believe them but it's the the changes in our body and many of them are hormonally driven do affect us in so many ways so many
1: ways so do 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 you perceive that um if you're in a let's say you're in a, a heterosexual relationship do you believe that your male partners have a lack of appreciation or maybe maybe they are just not articulating this maybe they do their own research and they've they've kind of figured it out so maybe maybe it's not that critical that and this is a provocative question maybe it's not that critical that your um that your male partner and 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 or your Female partner, if you're in a a a lesbian relationship, seeks out the advice of a woman-centered gynecologist. Well, I know
0: you're baiting my the question there (laughs) because you know that I think it's super important. (laughs) So I think it's important. I think there's an enormous gap in communication, and I have no idea if it relates to our origins as a puritanical society, or there's shame involved, or that it's awkward or that the medical profession doesn't bring this up proactively. It could be all of those things. But there are studies, Jerry, showing that over 80% of women do not ask their gynecologists about sexual issues, and over 80% of physicians do not ask their patients about sexual issues. And it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell mentality uh, when doctors are asked why they don't bring this up, they say, well, I don't have the time. And others say, well, even if I have the time, if I ask a patient if they have sexual dysfunction, I don't really know how to answer them or help them if they say yes. So some of it is just inadequate training on the part of the medical profession. We, we get you know an hour of training in, in four years. So that's, that's a, a deficit that is really on us. But shame on us for not asking so that if patients say, I have a problem, at least a caring clinician could say, well, I'm not competent to help you, but here's a list of sex therapists in the area that, that could help you. There's a very important um, academy, the association, the American Association of Sexual Counselors, uh, Sex Education Counselors and Therapists, A-A-S-E-C-T, ASECT. And anyone nationally can go on asect.com and find people in their community who are competent and caring and and certified to speak to them about, um, about sexual issues. Because it may be just that they're not comfortable beginning a conversation about sex with their partner, whether it's, hey, I have vaginal dryness and I need to tell you, or, you know, I'm struggling to tell you that I don't orgasm because you don't know how to pleasure me. You know, there's so many things that go unsaid, uh, even among happily married couples, even among couples who've been married for many, many years. And sometimes a gynecologist can fill that role. Some, some gynecologists can fill that role where they're comfortable saying to a patient, here's how you might bring it up, or here's what I see, or bring your partner in. I'd love to talk to both of you.
1: So do you have you had that opportunity? Um, Have you had some of your women patients bring their partners in for that conversation? Or do you think that that is that is way too forward thinking?
0: I think it's very forward thinking. And I'm really a big fan of forward thinking. I think doctors are taught such standard stuff. And I think it's really way past overdue that especially gynecologists, but but also family practitioners, you know, and nurse practitioners in women's health. Uh, I'm speaking only from the women's health perspective, but of course, we need this in men's health too. Um, take the 15 seconds it takes to say, Are you sexually satisfied? Do you have libido and do you have pain? I mean, that takes 10 seconds. And if someone says, Well, yes, I do. If you don't have the time as a clinician, you just say, Listen, this is important why don't we schedule another meeting so we can talk about it? Um, but I think it really behooves us to to at least bring it up because there are something like 40% of all women uh, will describe some sort of death, sexual dysfunction in their lifetime. And 12% of all women report that they have sexual dysfunction to such a strong degree that it causes them distress in their life. So again, shame on us as clinicians if we're not considering sexual health as, as real health. You know, it's like Hillary Clinton said, women's rights are human rights. And I feel like sexual health is, is human health. You know, it's part of it.
1: Well, we know that um, at least some of the studies that we've seen also point to the impact of the, of the lack of intimacy on self-esteem and on depression and on even to the extent that it impacts sleep. So, there's a bi directional nature you know good sex leads to good sleep, good sleep leads to good sex so there it's it's very interconnected, and yeah. I'm not sure that we have the the appreciation of that and and by the way, if you're celibate, so we were talking a lot about partners and and the impact that you know that we may want to have on on your partner in a relationship and why that conversation could be beneficial to have with your woman-centered gynecologist. But we're probably also speaking to women who are not in a partnered relationship and having that reliable resource in a woman-centered gynecologist who can take sort of the shame away from, uh, we call it, uh, what is it? um, Self-pleasure, right? So- pleasure. Um, There are some clinicians that won't use the word masturbation, because it connotes for some women, shame that they felt as a child. But that's, that's really, it's really important that if you're not in a partnered relationship, that you still enjoy that part of your body, enjoy that part of your life. And, and that's a conversation that a woman can have with the appropriate gynecologist, with a woman-centered gynecologist, and with a woman gynecologist that has grown up with that individual. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, there's certainly benefits to having long-term clinical relationships, and this is why um, for teens, you know, when, Jerry, when you and I were teens and in our early 20s, the rule of thumb was you go to a gynecologist once you're sexually active, or you go when you're 21 or over. It was sort of deferred until you were considered an adult. And now we don't recommend that anymore. The American College of OBGYN actually recommends young women go between the ages of 13 and 15, which seems very young to a lot of women our age. But the reason is that you're not going at 13 or 14 to have a pap smear. You're not going because you need a mammogram. You're going to begin a, a trusted Relationship, you're going to meet someone so that you can ask questions about anatomy, about self-touch, about uh, contraception, about so many things that you may not even be needing or using yet. But it's so that you have a, um, it's so that you have that comfort with someone. And yes, in an ideal world, Jerry, you would love to keep that relationship through the course of your life. you know, Have your babies with that person, go through menopause with that person. In reality, we know that people move, they get jobs, they get married, they go to college. So it's hard. I mean, I have some patients who I met 26 years ago when I started practicing, but I've moved myself. So it's been hard to keep patients for for that long. But I think establishing trust early as a teenager is a wonderful way to, to take the shame away when I talk to teenage patients, I make sure that that they know that exploring their body and learning their anatomy is really important. I get a mirror and we look together at their anatomy. You can't imagine how many 50, 60-year-old women have never, never looked down there. They just close their eyes and have mercy sex to kind of get it over with and have never looked down there. They don't know how to pleasure themselves. They don't know how to ask their partners for pleasure. So I think establishing... Um, trust and and repelling the shame associated with female genitalia is really important, really important. Um, and I think, yeah, a good clinician can help you feel that your body is nothing to be ashamed of and ultimately help you understand that sex can be for pleasure, which is also something not taught, not passed down from mother to daughter at all. In fact, I have a good friend, who is an Irish Catholic from Ireland. And she told me when she went to school in Ireland, they were taught that masturbation was the most shameful thing a human could do even more shameful than murder. How about that? <laughs> so she told me that. And I just, I just, I, I didn't have words to answer. I felt so sad for that whole cohort of people in her school. Um, And she brought that to her marriage. I mean, she brought that to her marriage and had to sort of unlearn that, you know. Uh,
1: Is it the old joke that um, that you will go blind, um, that you will go blind if you um, if you self-pleasure? And in fact, there was there was a there was another terrible joke that, you know, a little boy said that he was starting to lose his eyesight. (laughs) He confessed to his to his priest that he was going to lose his eyesight. And it was because of all the things that he was doing to pleasure himself. So it's, it, it is, it, there is a little, sh- a lot of shame that is, yes. um, that lies in the background in our brain. Oh, in all and it's things. gender
0: discrepant. It's really gender discrepant. I mean, if, if a parent suspects a son is masturbating and there's stains on the sheets or the socks are dirty or whatever, they kind of roll their eyes and go, oh boy, teenage boys but it's never, it's not dealt with the same for girls. It's sort of a, I don't even talk about it. I mean, most of my adult patients never spoke about this with their parents and my teenage patients wouldn't dare. I mean, they just, that's, and they don't do this in health class. You know, health class teaches you about chlamydia and using condoms. They don't teach you that it's okay and normal to explore your own body and figure out what gives you pleasure. And so it's really no, re, no surprise that many women don't know how to have pleasure or, or have an orgasm themselves. And they're not sure even how to tell their partner to help them. There is a really nice book called come as you are C O M E A S Y O U A R E come as you are by Emily Nagosi, And Emily Nagosi is a, a professor at Smith college. Uh, who teaches a class on sexuality. And she writes in such an easy, warm, comfortable, casual, but didactic way that I have a lot of my patients read her book, whether they're 20 or 50 or 70. And a lot of uh, women have learned a lot about their own bodies uh, by reading this book. It's, it's, It's not hard to read at all. So I really recommend it
1: that's great advice and it it actually goes back to um the original point if you have if you have difficulty with your own body if you have difficulty de- touching your body if you have difficulty expressing having self-expression of pleasure it's really it's really interesting how that may impact the way in which you feel comfortable sharing that with the partner you choose whether it's a same sex partner or whether it is And a member of the opposite sex. And if you can't describe that, if you feel uncomfortable with that, I can't imagine that your opposite sex partner has the ability to read your mind, much less read your body, right? Right? them
0: how to read your body, right? It's easy to make them the bad guy, but in a way they're just in the dark, you know, and to be honest, very Not so many men tell me when they come in that, you know, some of them sort of brag like, well, I can have sex all night, you know, but, and some are very sensitive to, to their wife or their partner's pleasure. Uh, But others are just, they were never taught that they were taught, you know, missionary position at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. That's what sex is. And you sort of get it done with, and now you, you know, that's it. And it was so simplified and dumbed down to them from their friends or TV or their dad or who knows where that they never knew to ask for more you know to, to inquire um,
1: so interestingly enough when i um, when I talk about what we do at Fempharma, pharma um, and you can imagine in the investment community, the vast majority of individuals that we speak to about investment in this woman's health care company happen to be men right. And I, I must say that it is a light bulb moment for many of the men that are sitting across the conference room table when I describe why it is that their partners may not be interested in intercourse. Right. And I joke and I say, look, here's the deal. You can go out and you can purchase one of the ED drugs, but if your wife... Is a, a woman of a certain age and she is beginning to experience pain, experience painful intercourse. It won't matter whether you have an erection that lasts all night. She is not going to be ready because her body hurts and her brain is telling her. So there's that terrible wow. neuro, neural pathway that's being created and she's not going to be able to feel pleasure. But it is, it is literally a light bulb moment for many of these individuals and I describe what what they will see or hear about which is it hurts it burns there's bleeding so that that is sh- the shock factor is enormous and then when we describe the number of women who experienced well you know I'm a, you know I'm married and I my partner doesn't have that problem and I said well if she's in this age group cohort you can imagine that fifty percent of women in the cohort are going to have some degree right. of issue. Yeah, and it may not be severe, but if they do nothing about it, it will get it will get to be severe, and she will avoid intercourse. And if she avoids intercourse, then she will it will become worse. So it's the use, I or think use that
0: affects them. your relationship. I mean, let's not forget that intercourse and intimacy are part and parcel of, of a full, robust, mature relationship. And as, as you mentioned before, being sexually active really at any stage in your life, but especially midlife and beyond has been linked to better sleep to reduced cardiovascular disease and to longevity. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, that, that person may say, well, my wife's fine, but, Chances are she's not totally fine. She's just not sure how to tell him. And she may not know that it's treatable. So I think two of the take-home messages here, Jerry, are that vaginal dryness and and painful intercourse are common and they're treatable. And common, when I say common, I mean almost 60 million women in America uh, and probably half a billion women globally suffer from this. Uh, from vaginal dryness, painful intercourse, and sure, some are mild, but some women come in and tell me it feels like razor blades. I mean, how how can that be fun to live with, you know? And we know it's treatable. We know it's it's improvable.
1: And this is unfortunately what we sometimes hear from women that will um, call in or chat in, um, and obviously we we don't ever disclose any any information, but we. We have had a significant number of women who will call in, chat in and ask if, you know, it's normal to feel burning and pain. And we suggest take our, we have a quiz online and we suggest that they take our quiz online, which is totally anonymous. And it can point them in the right direction in terms of some symptom relief. But even women don't appreciate that this is not uncommon. They are not in a place that many women haven't been and haven't struggled with in their, in their reproductive lives. And it starts, we, we, we talk to women who are younger women who may have breast cancer. And the breast cancer survivors are thrust into chemical menopause and almost overnight, their, their sexual intimacy is impacted. And so we, we try to encourage them to do some self-care, and I guess the you know thinking about that when we when we speak to men about how to help their wives to navigate through that part of their um, their couple relate couple's relationship, what what would be five tips that you would share with a partner that came in a male partner that would come in? It, it's not restricted, of course, because as you pointed out earlier, and this was really. Um, important, especially because it's Pride Month in June. Um, so we all love, love different folks in different ways. And so how would you, um, how would you proceed to share five important points that um, could impact your partner relationship?
0: So you're talking about midlife relationships where, where women are starting to have changes and how could a partner be sensitive to that and what are five things they could do? So just off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is to be patient because this is not easy. And remember, if the partner is not clear about what's happening and is not sure if she's alone or the only person, she may be having all kinds of feelings of being damaged or broken or no longer desirable. Um, Point number two after be patient is to do research, to understand what happens to women's bodies, to understand menopause and, and genital changes of menopause. And that's no harder to understand than, than going on Google, really. You can learn that in two minutes and you don't need, I mean, it's always great to have a doctor explain it in depth, but you don't need that. You can go to the North American Menopause Society's website or the American College of OBGYN or the Mayo Clinic or WebMD. There's no shortage of good, valuable resources out there. So number one, be patient. Number two, do your research to understand it. Number three, don't think of sex as just penile penetration. Understand that sex is a whole host of options and that if it's painful for a woman to have penetration, you may not ever have it again, but you may just not have it again for a few months until she can get a solution. And In that time, you can still be intimate. You can still have what I call G-rated sex. I tell my patients, we're going to I have couples come in and I tell them, we're going to back up. We're going to go from running a marathon to just walking around the block. And eventually we'll get back to the marathon. So I have them spend 30 minutes every week, just having a cuddle, just a snuggle time on a small sofa with no phones whatsoever. They're not allowed to talk about politics or bills or kids or aging parents or anything that's stressful And they need to giggle. They need to laugh. They need to touch. They need to touch non-genital parts at first, hair, face, back of the knee, give a back rub, whatever parts feel good to be touched. Only after they've done that and they're enjoying that, do I sort of encourage them to make it a little more PG rated and then a little more R rated. Um, I think we forget Because sex has become so objectivized that it's about ejaculation, it's about penile penetration, that we forget how just how much one can get aroused without that. Men forget that, and women forget that. So that's my third point: is G-rated sex. Don't be afraid to do that. I think that the the really uh, they they may not know this or read this or find this on the internet. But the amount of time it takes for a woman to get aroused relative for a man to get aroused is very different. There is a time discrepancy. Um, we know that, you know, if men are fully aroused in X seconds or minutes, women always take four or five times that long to be fully aroused. But many men, especially younger or inexperienced sexually men, will Become aroused and then immediately want to have uh, penile penetration of the vagina, um, and that when a woman is not fully aroused, first and foremost, there's not enough moisture that has come through the walls. The natural wetness of the vagina is something called a transudate. It's it's almost like seepage through the walls of the vagina. That takes a while. The blood vessels have to open up and and be sort of permeable and the fluid needs to, to come in. And this is where lubricants and moisturizers can really help. If, if women can get more comfortable using lube at the time of sex or using vaginal moisturizers on a regular basis, then it it closes that gap. You know, it allows the vagina to already be more moist. So the time discrepancy to arousal, when the vagina is fully sort of welcoming of the penis, is is real. And then the, the fifth thing is just the very beginning of what we said is that the female body changes with age, that the vaginal mucosa thins, the number of blood vessels decrease, the collagen degrades. All these things make it can make it a little harder to have an orgasm or longer to have an orgasm or longer to get aroused. And It doesn't mean, you you don't take it personally. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It means these are changes in their body. So kind of to recap, I would ask men to be patient with their partners. I would ask them to do some research and understand what's happening. I would ask them to not be afraid to have sex that doesn't involve penetration. I would have them understand the time discrepancy to arousal. And I would have them understand that with aging, there are a number of changes in all parts of the body. And that that can relate to sexual performance, if you will.
1: Those are really great points, uh, Maria. The one that resonates with me most is the, the, the number one point, which is patience, right? So the patience to take the time to do your homework. And if you want to have a sustainable relationship as a couple, whether it is in a heterosexual relationship or it is in a, a same-sex relationship, all of these apply. When I you know speak to men um, who are interested in knowing what we do and how to get involved with the company, what I generally say is, and if you are in a relationship with a a woman, you should encourage her to practice self-care. She may be you know a more receptive partner if she feels that you are in this with her together. And you are concerned about her as more than just a receptacle for a penis. And of course, that's pretty provocative, but it's true. Um, Having a patient partner, encouraging her to practice good self-care, which means, yes, you can, you certainly want to consider using lubricant um, and moisturizer. It shouldn't just be mid-act. They don't stop mid-act and say, oh, I just need to do this right now, because that does not provide prolonged relief of any of the symptoms you just shared with us. So we encourage men to be patient, to remember that it took years for a woman to potentially have reached this point where things have not functioned as well as they did when she was in her 20s or 30s or 40s. And so now it's it's an opportune time for her to think about how she protects that mucosa, her okay. vaginal and vulvar mucosa, And that's going to help their relationship because it shows that he cares about her beyond just a reproductive partner. Right, right. his orgasm or her orgasm. I know many men that feel
0: if the woman can't orgasm, she's broken or something's wrong or he's doing something wrong. You know, there are women that truly never orgasm and, and that's okay. There shouldn't be this shame or feeling of being broken. Um, And speaking of orgasm, it's also really important to know that while in the movies, it always seems like the woman has a vaginal orgasm, that the man is inside her and she's having an orgasm. In reality, 80, 90% of women only orgasm from clitoral stimulation. And so many of my patients only orgasm from oral sex. And they will come to me and say, oh, I'm strange because this is me. Uh, and, and you realize that's because what they've learned usually from the movies is they're supposed to be orgasming from penile penetration. That's what they believe. And that's just not at all true. I mean, the clitoris is embryologically our penis. I mean, a clitoris is a penis for women and it's actually much larger than people realize. Most of it's just inside your body, but, um, it needs to be stimulated to have an orgasm in most women.
1: But well, you um you've covered every point and more. Um this was yeah, this is you no, know, this is really fabulous, Maria. And um you know we have our little um mascot. We call her Dolores the Clitoris. <laughs> but she's really important here at fem Pharma.
0: <laughs> There's another funny book to recommend called Becoming Clitorate, Cliterate. C L I T E R A T E. I love that. It's a much more kind of a little not racy, but edgy, um, a sex therapist in Florida writes it just about sort of advocating for the rights to pleasure for women. I think between becoming clitorate and come as you are, I think there's some good reading for our listeners to, to tackle this summer. But, um, if anybody listening has questions, I mean, I know they can find you and I through fem pharma, um, or, uh, or, or my website, PrincetonGYN.com. I'm happy to help if people have questions or they want guidance. Um, I think it's, I, I just want to give a, a hats off to you, Jerry, for being a pioneer in this field, for for making sure that women get educated and that uh, we find clean, safe, um, and healthy solutions to some of these problems. So
1: thank you. Thanks, Maria. And for those of you that are listening, Dr. Maria Sophocles is a pioneer in her own right in women's health care, has probably one of the most innovative practices in the United States. Uh, She's extensively trained. Uh, You'll learn more about her by checking out our website at www.fempharma.com. She is a member of our Scientific Advisory Board. And she's a distinguished member of the medical community. So um, to learn more about Dr. Sophocles, you you can visit our website. Maria, it's been a pleasure as always. And here's to loving our lives.